With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello and welcome to the latest Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer. I'm Sam Carroll. To my left, we've got Dave Prentice. Our Everton correspondent, Adam Jones, also joins us. And podcast maestro, Paul Wheelock, is sitting to my right. We'll get straight into it, Dave. There was a uh, there was a friendly game at Finch Farm yesterday, behind closed door one, and there was a lot of interesting faces <coughs> turned now for the Blues. Yeah, I think we were uh, we were expecting and hoping that Yerry Mina uh, would come through safely, which he did. Uh, only a sixty-minute run out, so you know whether he's uh, match fit yet remains to be seen. Uh, Seamus Coleman didn't, which was a, a little bit of a, an eyebrow raiser. Uh, but I think the significant one is that midfielders, you know, sort of came storming back. Gomez, you know, sort of played the game. Benny Beningami played the game. And perhaps a little surprisingly, James McCarthy uh, got through, given the fact that it's, is it was seven months since, you know, he suffered like an absolutely horrific broken leg. And I think if we can say the one area of the Everson team that we probably all agree, you know, hasn't really fired this season has been in midfield. Whether it's been Schneidlin and Gay, you know, we we don't think that that mix is quite right. Whether it's been Davis and Gay, whatever, you know, there's something not quite right in that department. So it's probably quite pleasing to see McCarthy, Gomez, Beningami all coming back and all giving Marco Silva potential options. Don't ask me which one I'd choose to throw in there because I don't know just yet. I mean, it's uh, none of them appear to like marry with each other particularly well. But I think Gomez is the player that we're all quite, you know, eagerly waiting to see. You know, anybody with you know Barcelona education will have some degree of uh, you know sort of quality about him. So uh, yeah, you know, options for Marco Silva, which is what we want. And Adam, do you think maybe because of his injury problems that he's had now over the last maybe eighteen months, even two years? Do you think James McCarthy is a bit of a forgotten entity? I, I was, just, I was just about to say, he's the archetypal forgotten man a, a little bit at Goodison Park these days, isn't he? Seems to remember, he got injured mid-January, didn't he, against West Brom. Seems to remember he'd hit quite a good run of form. Probably just, his best run of form since just, be, just before he got injured. Like he was, he was really a really commanding and energetic presence in that midfield. And I think ever since then, whenever Idrissa Gay's not been there, of course, we've we've kind of lacked someone with... You know, that little bit of bite in midfield. And I think McCarthy absolutely brings that. And I think he's better at bringing the ball forwards than Gay. To be honest, now I'm not saying that he should replace Gay in any way, shape or form. I think Idrissa Gay is streets ahead of him at this at this point. But James McCarthy is going to be a really interesting addition to Marco Silva's squad, I definitely believe. Yeah, you forget actually how influential he's been in the past. Like you say, because it's been so long since we've seen him have a decent run. I mean, that Martinez team, the uh, was it 2012-13 or 13-14? The season that we finished fourth. Fifth. Um, fifth. The, uh, the fifth, sorry. It does feel like we finished fourth. <laughs> the, the season we looked like we were going to finish fourth. <laughs> the the, ter- the turning point, undoubtedly, was James McCarthy's injury yeah. Uh, yeah. when he was left out against Crystal Palace to, in inverted commas, rest the injury. 
and um, you know it all went pear shaped that night. He just brought so much to the team, and likewise, Ronald Koeman discovered that as well. And the, the derby match, which uh, Sadio Mane won with his 93rd minute goal at Goodison, again turning point for that was yeah. uh, James McCarthy going off injured yeah. uh, because Everton had been well in that game, you know, with him in midfield. So he does bring something, and it's more than just energy, you know. So any player can run around like you know a million miles an hour and press and close defenders down. He does it with a sense of purpose, uh, and he uses the ball quite well too when he gets it. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, whether A, he's the kind of player that Marco Silva fancies, and, you know, so B, whether he does get into that uh, team. Long way to go yet. You know, he's only played 60 minutes of a behind closed doors friendly after best part of seven months on the sidelines. But, you know, he certainly will play a part before Christmas. And so, you know, so let's, you know, see whether Marco Silva fancies him. Do you think with the price tag and how hard Everton worked to get him, Paul, do you think there's a little bit of pressure on Yeri Mina when he eventually makes that Everton debut? I suppose there will be, given the price tag and given the, the club he's come from. But in a strange way, the form of Keane and Zoom is probably going to help him a little bit. You know, probably two, three weeks ago, we were saying, well, we need Mina in the team right now. At the moment, it's no, no, no big, such a big rush for him, is there really? Because Keane and Zoom have done very well in recent weeks. And why split up that anyway? Even if Mean is fully fit for Palace a week on Sunday, I'd, I'd keep him on the bench because the other two lads have done nothing wrong. So, yeah, of course, there's going to be expectancy expectancy surrounding him but to me this is probably the best time to you know to bed him in easily and Adam the the one player kind of out of out of that group that played Jesse someone you've seen bits of last season how good a player do you think Benny Beningamy can be for Everton judging on the the small bits we've seen of him last season Uh, well I mean I remember watching him a few years ago when back when I was watching the under 18s and he was in that side and I think he was streets ahead of anybody who was he was in that side back then he progressed through to the under-23s and he played so well there. And I think the first chance we got to see him last season was against Chelsea in yep. that League Cup game, wasn't it, when David Unsworth brought him in. And he was absolutely fantastic in that game. I thought Everton were quite unlucky to not come out of that with at least a draw, maybe maybe even having beat Chelsea at Stamford Bridge that night. But I think Beningamy could be a player with a, a really good future ahead of him. I think... The, the area that he plays in midfield is going to be difficult for him to get a lot of game time, obviously because we've got Adrissa Gay who plays that role very, very well. But you know, now, now that he's getting his face back involved with the squad, he's obviously a young player, which Marco Silva and Marcel Brands have always said that they want to try and promote at Everton. You know, why why can't they try and build on what's already there with Beningami? I think we've seen he's robust in a tackle. He can use the ball well when he's got it. He's got some pace about him, a good strength for his age as well. I think he's got a really good profile set in place there to be a really good Premier League player. So I'm, I'm interested to see how well it develops for the rest of this he's season. Bit, he's got a bit of presence about him, hasn't he? Mm. He's um, you know, one of those players that always seems to want the ball. I mean, there's like a whole clutch of, you know, so younger players at Everson that, you know, so come in and out of the side. I mean, Tom Davis, I suppose you could say, you know, is in that category at the moment. Kieran Dahl, we've seen bits of this season. Uh, and Beningamy, when we saw him last season, he's a player that you just, you get the impression, you know, he wants to make an impact on every game. He's, you know, he wants the ball. He's quite happy to have that responsibility. And if you're going to succeed in that area of the pitch, you know, that, that's a quality you need to have. Obviously, you know, the coaches will know, you know, better than us, you know, whether he's ready just yet uh, to be given any first team exposure. But what we saw of him last season was quite impressive. And then sticking, sticking with the young players, anyone who had BT Sport on last night will have seen <laughs> England yeah. under-21s romp to a, a tight 7-0 victory uh, over Andorra. Adam O'Luckman opened the score, and after some good work from uh, Tom Davis and John Joe Kenny, put the finishing touches to that. 
Uh, Dominic Calvert Lewin scored two. Paul Dave's wrote today that it's all it's you know it's it's a sign from Calvert Lewin almost to the manager to you know Richarlison played up front the other week, but still a very real uh, presence in this Everton team, isn't he? Yeah, in Everton squad. And you probably say more so than Tosin and the Ass this season that he's probably been outside of Richarlison, obviously on Saturday at Leicester, Everton's best forward. You know, even though he didn't play well in the game against Fulham, was he? Still won the penalty that Sigerson missed. You know, he's got three goals more than any other centre forward, natural centre forward we've got at the moment. And I think we were speaking on Monday's Raw Blue, weren't they? I think there's a player there with Calvert Lewin. I don't know whether he's ready as Everton's first choice centre forward, but he's someone I really like to persist with. I, I'd have no problem with him being Everton's say, third choice centre forward. Maybe a loan spell will help him out if he's not getting enough games in the second half of the season. But I think there's something there with him. I think he was thrown into the deep end. And he's never let us down, and he seems to be doing well for England as There's well. There's definitely something there. I know, uh, was it start of last season, I think, when he made, was it right wing back that Ronald Koeman tossed him in against yeah. Stoke? Oh, God. Uh, and then he eventually <laughs> ended up, you know, putting the cross in for Rooney. And I think I likened him to a young Graham Sharp. Now, don't get this the wrong way, because Sharp, he's an absolute legend, you know, scored second amount of goals in the club's history. Uh, but in his early days, Sharpie was very raw. Um, you know, he... he he needed confidence. He needed a few edges to his game. And you get the impression that Calvert-Lewin, I don't think he'll ever be as good a player as Graham Sharp was, but, you know, um, he does need a few other things to his game. But he does have something. Um, he has got a bit of pace. Um, he's, you know, a decent finisher. And uh, the point I was making about that piece from last night, food for thought for Marco Silva, did you see his penalty? Yeah. It was like two steps, absolute top corner exocet. What's the only game he's not been in the squad all season? Southampton in the Carabao Cup. I can't think what you're getting at. Yeah. Well, you get you know, <laughs> needed something to you know, convert penalties with that degree of ruthlessness. But I, I just thought that well, if he is in the squad specialist, in the future... Specialist penalty taker, well, well, Thomas Gravison actually came off the bench once to take one yeah. purely in a penalty shootout. Um, so, you know, sometimes you know you do need people like that. I mean, obviously Sigurdsson missed his last one, uh, but Tosin and Baines have both scored penalties in, in the shootout recently, both very, very good from 12 yards. But they might not be in the first team, you know, so throughout the season. We don't know yet if Calvert-Lewin is there or thereabouts. It's another string to his bow. Uh, but you're not going to select a player just because he can take penalties. Although I did suggest to Walter Smith a long, long time ago <laughs> when um, David Unsworth went down to West Ham. And we, uh, I think, did we win 2-1 or due 2-2? It was a vital game. We were actually struggling down the bottom end of the Premier League. And Unzi was getting near the end of his contract. And I remember uh, sending Walter a text after the Bunsy had scored this incredible, you know, it's a really vital penalty. And saying, come on, Walter, you've got to get close to Unzi, obviously. You've got to give Unzi a new contract after that. And the response, Jesus Christ, Prentice, we've just given contracts for taking penalties. <laughs> so, I love, I love how that started, Scottish, and then you thought so, so better anyway, of it. Yeah, you know, but, 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 but not on a bit of a tangent there. But anyway, Cal- Calvert-Lewin is not going to get a place in the first team because he can take a penalty. Can we just do a podcast of you doing Scottish accents? Uh, I, I, I do other accents far more. So but uh, no, he's, he's clearly, you know, so got something, I, I think, you know, so he deserves to be in the first team squad. And, you know, he will get opportunities this season and it's up to him whether he takes them. I think a youth game like that offers a nice little bit of perspective, I think. I think we've, we take for granted how much we actually use these kind of young players. I think really because we've been forced to over the last two years. Obviously, we know the kind of transfer window struggles that we've had over the last few years and we've put an undue amount of pressure, I think, on the likes of John Joe Kenny, Tom Davis, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, especially, you know, these lads... Calvert-Lewin's the oldest and he's 21. You know, Tom, uh, I think Kenny's actually 21 as well, isn't he? Tom Davis is only 20. 
know, these are these are players that you're still expecting to be in their formative years, you know, still feeling their way into the Premier League, but we've had to rely on them to be first team ready. And I think that's why maybe you're seeing a bit a bit of debate over whether they're good enough for the for the team. At, at the minute, they're not meant to be good enough for the team, in my opinion. And you can say all you want, they were only playing Andorra under-21s, whatever. That's their age level. That's their real age level. And look how much they've just destroyed another international team on their age level. Like, it, they breezed them aside as if it was nothing almost at times last night, especially for the move for that first goal that Adam Ola-Luckman scored. They, made it, they just made it look so easy. And I think that that's the benefit of the Premier League experience that they're getting. And I think we've we've really saw the detriments over the last few months of just playing them too much. That they are too much in the public eye. I think maybe John Joe Kenny coming back into the side this season has benefited from Seamus Coleman then regaining his place last season. I think Kenny's looked a lot better when he's come into the side this season. Maybe Davis needs that time to be able to drop out and reassess himself before he comes back in. Calvert Lewin will have that chance now. So if he gets his chance again, hopefully he'll be able to really kick on again I think we've just relied on them a little bit too much it's a great point because like just what you were saying there like not that England have done everything too many favours over the years but there's probably not too many Premier League sides could say that they had four regular first teamers in an under 21 set up really and I think you're spot on Adam really because they might not be ready just yet but what's happened over these last two years will be invaluable for them and hopefully it'll be invaluable for Everton and if it's not at Everton I'm pretty sure it'll help them in the careers that they know that they go, go on to have if, even if it's at another club well actually they've just got to learn from it the right way I think that's the, that's the only that's the only issue yeah the one thing that stood out for me last night as well as you know Calvert-Lewin's penalty taking prowess was it was Tom Davis's stature uh, in the game um, you can tell he's benefited, you know, from playing first team football, from captaining Emerson Football Club. He looked like a midfield general last night. All right, it's Andorra under twenty ones, but they're still an international team. And uh, but he did, you know, he actually did stand out. And uh, a number of the goals he was heavily involved in. He played a lovely little ball through for the one that Nelson, you know, flicked through with his heel. He played the ball across the box for the one that Solanke eventually scored from. Um, you know, he was in and around, and he just he had a, a degree of authority about him, and that clearly comes, you know, from the experience he's had this season. And I know, you know, he can divide opinion among some fans, but you know, he, he's a young footballer who's going in the right direction. Mm. He's not stalled, you know, he's not going backwards. He is still progressing as a footballer, which is good for Everton. Yeah, I think if if you're going to be twenty twenty one, you need to be absolutely exceptional if you're going to be you know a regular first team and you know blow, you're blowing teams away every week and I think I think well whilst we've been, all been excited about Davis and Calvert-Lewin and Kenny they're probably not that exceptional world-class level but that's not to say that they can't be amazingly good players for Everton in the future we've just got to let them develop in the right way and yeah. I think hopefully games like this is just going to be a massive confidence booster to them. And it's amazing sometimes, you know, how, how things can change so quickly. I'm thinking back of, you know, when Jack Rodwell and Dan Gosling both came through at the mm. same time. Yeah. And, you know, Rodwell looked like an absolute star in the making for a long time. So much so, well, so yeah. much so that Man City spent, you know, an awful lot of money on him and then yeah. his career just disintegrated. So, you know, th- things can change very, very quickly. So, you know, D- Davis is certainly moving in the right direction at the moment. Mm-hmm. And just to, just to quickly draw a line on the 23 under-23s or under-21s. Three players we spoke a lot about there, Kenny, Davis and Calvert-Lewin. Paul, do you think Luckman's been a little bit unlucky this season in terms of Walcott, Calvert, uh, Walcott, uh, Richarlison and Bernard all playing really well? Do you think he would have got in, in other Everton sides down the years? He probably would have been getting a, a chance or do you think he's still got, in what he's shown in Royal Blue, do you think he's still got a little bit more work to go? 
No, I, I I know he had a really good spell at, on loan in Germany with Leipzig, but what he'd done previously for Everton and his, probably his, his few performances in pre-season didn't do enough to me to suggest that he should have started the season and given the impact that Richarlison's made and I know Walcott's been a bit flaky in the last couple of games but I still think he's had a decent start to the season. I think he's got work to do and I think, you know what, if, if, if there wasn't all that speculation about him in the summer, he'd be in a pretty good position right now, wouldn't he? Coming off the bench in the Premier League, he's only been at, came only, what, 18 months ago from Charlton. He's in a yeah. good position. It's just that he's had his head turned by Leipzig and maybe he thinks he should be playing, but from, from my view, he, he shouldn't. Not at this moment in time, anyway. Still a little bit more work for Luckman, Adam? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think maybe we're looking at his low move in Leipzig with a bit of rose-tinted glasses, I think, especially February, March time. I seem to remember him struggling to get into the side. I think an injury to Emil Forsberg eventually let him get back into their side. Obviously, he couldn't play Europa League games for them, so it was a... Only Bundesliga games that he could play. Still incredible to think Everton were in the Europa League last season. That seems like a terrible nightmare, doesn't oh, it? It's a long it's a time ago. Wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you know he bagged a couple of goals for them. Obviously, bagged a couple last game of the season as well. And you know he's probably he's probably looking at the likes of Jadon Sancho, who's absolutely ripping it up in the Bundesliga at the minute, despite only coming off the bench. For most games for Dortmund this season, he's I think he's the best assist maker so far in all of Europe's yeah. top five leagues. That's absolutely incredible. And to be honest, if I'm if I'm looking at it in Adam Ola Luchman's shoes, I'm probably looking at Sancho and going, God, I wish I could be going out there and doing that. But the problem is, he like obviously there was that speculation, and we don't we don't know what's gone on behind the scenes. But he's just he's just not got his chance in the squad this season. I th- personally think he played quite well against Southampton and I think that he should try and use that as some sort of energy for him for the next few weeks you know just get get yourself onto that bench if Everton needs you get on that pitch and put your heart and soul in and who knows like there's he could easily still fight his way into the team from the little flashes that we've seen of him there's a really quality player in there like I'm thinking especially of uh, the derby game at Anfield in the FA Cup like he came he came on and changed that game for Everton essentially like that kind of Adam Ola Luchman is what we all want to see, but we've seen it not regularly enough for me so far. Green entirely. I mean, he's uh, he's done it a few times. The Watford game, the three-two, where again was a turning point was him coming on and you know running at players. But you've, you've got to do that on a consistent basis uh, to hold down a first-team place, uh, and and he hasn't done it you know often enough. I mean, the Southampton performance was quite bright. Um, but, you know, Bernard also showed a lot that game and, and kept it going. You know, I know he was given the opportunity to do so, which obviously Luckman wasn't. But that'll be because of what he's showing on the training pitch. And you keep hearing little sniffs and little rumours that the attitude isn't quite right. And we don't know quite what that means. Uh, but, you know, clearly there's something, you know, jarring a little bit with the manager, which is why he's not getting his opportunities, you know, as often as you know, other players are. But it's entirely down to him. Um, you know, he has got ability, he has got talent, he's got to apply himself in the correct way, you know, to be able to show it. And obviously there was some full internationals on last night. Uh, Lucas Dean and Kurt Zuma made their return to the France fold and they played out a 2-2 draw against Iceland with Gilfie Sigurdsson creating one of the goals for Iceland and Kylian Mbappé doing what all brilliant teenagers do and scoring two late international goals. <laughs> what kind of impact do you think the, the two Frenchmen have had at Goodison since arriving? Interesting on this because uh, Zuma's been great. You know, he's, he's he's settled in very very 
securely and solidly, you know, not being spectacular, but you don't want your centre-backs to be spectacular. You just want them to be safe. And uh, and he has done that. He's been unfortunate not to score a couple of times as well. You know, he's a, he's, he's a threat in the opposition penalty area. Luca Dean is, is a strange one. All right, hands up. I'm a massive Leighton Baines fan here. And I, I thought... Oh, I'm going to disagree with you. I don't know what's coming here. <laughs> I just thought, I can feel it I coming. Just thought, you know, you know, he was bombed after one sloppy performance at Bournemouth, and we haven't seen him since. Yeah, you know, uh, one Carabao Cup tie apart. Now, Dean's been great going forward. Absolutely, you know, so he's provided the energy and he's provided the quality into the box, which is clearly what Marco Silva wanted. The Baines, you know, arguably used to supply, you know, in the the PNR days, maybe not so much in recent years, but. He's been a little bit sloppy on occasions. Defensively, I can think of two or three occasions uh, when Everton have been caught out. You know, one certainly which you know, cost Everton a goal. Um, so, you know, he's still finding his way into a, into a new league, into a new team. And he's been promising, but I don't quite buy into, you know, the big love in that, you know, yeah, great. He's, you know, he's a you know, superstar in the making. He's decent, uh, but don't write out Leighton Baines just yet. I think that if he does have a little dip, you know, we might see a bit more of Bainesy before the season's out. But yeah, both good additions to the squad. And, you know, so I'm quite happy with both of them. And I'll bring in uh, <laughs> the prime member of the Lucas Dean fan club. Oh, yeah, I think Lucas Dean's great and I think he's a superstar in the making. <laughs> no, like, I, I agree with the large majority of what you've said, but I would caveat is defensive form with not being part of a set-up back four. I think he's looked much better defensively having Kertzuma next to him, like knowing that you're going to have a certain centre-back next to him, even having Idrissa Gay in front of him. I think that's that's been the problem for like, like for the majority of our defenders this season. I'd say that's that's been the issue, just not having the that that settled that settled line. So that's why I'm a, a bit a bit wary of shaking that up in any way. Especially that's like when you're trying to bring Yeni Mina back into it. I'm not saying that Yeni Mina shouldn't come back in. I think he eventually he will be our starting centre back. And and then I think Kertzuma is going to be. The key centre back, I, 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 I believe. I think he, he possesses qualities for me that no other centre back at the club has. And I'm, I'm thinking necessarily about his ability to bring the ball out from the back. I think he's quite clearly learned a lot at Chelsea from that under numerous different managers. He had the spell playing in defensive mid at one point. I think that might have been under Mourinho. I'm not sure, but yeah, he had a spell at defensive mid for them, and he's obviously learned so much about bringing the ball out. How when to bring the ball out, how to make those kind of passes. Still got a lot to learn about positional play, but his recovery pace as well is absolutely phenomenal. I think that has complemented Michael Keane so well, and I think it will complement complement Yeni Mina so well, who's not exactly the quickest from what I've from what I've seen of his time at Barcelona, at least. So I think I think Zuma is going to be the key player, but I think going back to Dean, I, th- I think he's he's absolutely taken advantage of what's been the cutthroat nature of the Premier League, really. I think, finally, it's come round for Leighton Baines to feel that. Like For the last few years, Leighton Baines just hasn't had that competition. I think he's he's probably declined a little bit from his extremely lofty perch, don't get me wrong. He's declined a little bit over the last couple of seasons, I'd say, to where he is now. We've needed cover in that position for a while. Now that it's finally here, he was finally punished for one of those mistakes. Like that one against Bournemouth, I think. Yeah. He deserves to be punished for that that mistake, yeah. and I think I, I, I don't think Dean's done anything massively wrong that I would I would say he needs to be dropped for. There are improvements that can be made defensively, but when when he came to the club, he said, "Well, first and foremost, I'm a good defender. 
Like he he tried to play down his attack and play rather than like play down his defensive play. So I think maybe once we've we've seen Dean, you know, string a run of five, ten games together, and maybe we'll see the real player. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I, I love Bainsey. Like, yeah. absolutely love him. Brilliant. One of my favourite Everton players, probably. I know that some people might say, well, I was too young in the 80s, but that's when Sam first went to the game, but he has been one of the most consistent Everton players I've seen over the years. I just think Dean suits this system better. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a system that still concerns me. I still think, even at Leicester, as well as we played, we get caught it up can be horribly wide so open. so wide open. Yeah. And my fear yeah. is when we play, I don't know, a City or... Liverpool, yeah. you know, who do like equally like to counter-attack. I still have real fears about the system. But you can't moan too much, given what we had to put up with last season. You know? <laughs> we can't have it both ways. Paul Wheeler, bring Allardyce back. <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely did not say that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I what, I what I do like about Dean is his attacking ability, because I think Baines has had to be more economical over the years, given the fact he, he isn't as, not as fit, because he's unbelievably fit, but he isn't up and down as much as he was once was once and Dean is that now and what's really impressed me is his crossing ability and mm. he must have had is it two or three assists so far or at least been involved in yeah. two or three goals but it's still it's still strange not to see Baines down the left anymore it, as you said it's really harsh cutthroat but I suppose that's what the, the manager's here to do well, there's, a, there's such a chance as well to have Dean strike up some sort of partnership with I think we well we need to decide whoever's going to play on the left first whether it's going to be Bernard over Charleston, but I think he's had some fantastic link up play with the pair of them. I think especially with Bernard in that Leicester game. You know, there was so often when Bernard would just hold the ball up and wait for him and there'd be such a nice interplay between the two. I'm looking forward to seeing how that kind of develops over the next few weeks. There's a nice degree of interchangeability as well, you know, which is we don't really want to compare them to, you know, the, the side across the park. Well, you know, that's what the much, you know, fabled front three do so well. You yeah. know, they dovetail and drop in and out of positions and make themselves very, very difficult to pick up and mark. And Richarlison and Bernard were doing that to a great degree. I mean, a number of times Richarlison appeared up on the left again, uh, um, you know, rather than down the middle. Um, you know, Bernard went inside and it was, it was good to watch and it made themselves, you know, a very, very difficult team to defend against. And uh, it, it was refreshing. You know, I, think, I know you've already covered the other Leicester game in an earlier podcast this week, but, you know, the, some of the quality of the football was great and very, very heartening. Paul, just to throw your school teacher hat on a moment Adam oh. Adam Jones sitting sitting across the table from you so don't be too harsh rated Everton summer signings this week he gave care to Wait, me he's not, he's not rating me <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> oh we can do go on give me all the rating go on this, this can be the appraisal Adam gave care to me a B is that something you'd agree with yeah yeah, yeah solid, definitely. solid rating yeah no argument Richarlison A plus happy with that yeah, I think, yeah, you will yeah. put, give him an A, yeah. This is going to be quite easy, Well, yeah, the, the, the only thing that I, that I caveated the Richarlison thing was he did he did get sent off against Bournemouth for that little bit of ill-discipline. Yeah. And, and the penalty. Oh, well, the, the pen, a penalty is a penalty, like... If you're gonna if you're gonna do that run up, you gotta score. The, the, the run the run up made me laugh. If I'm if I'm honest, he, I, I've now got up to the point where the run up is making me laugh. No, but he, he has all joking aside. He's become our key man, hasn't he? Yeah, I think he, I think he's I think he's essentially been our games. best player yeah. this season. So, Premier something me and Adam were talking about earlier is that two Premier League runs on the spin now, the international break, maybe came a 
quite an annoying time. But how important do you think that momentum will be when we when we do eventually get back into the thick of things against Crystal Palace? Momentum counts for everything. Yeah, it does. You know, it just it generates confidence. You know, so teams can't wait to play the next game when you get a little run of uh, you know victories going. It was very very important to get a result at Leicester. Because uh, you know, after the disappointments of the Carabao Cup game, after the you know the grim Huddersfield draw, uh, and even Fulham was okay. Three 0 looks like a great win, but first half, you know, Everton weren't really at it, and Fulham were unfortunate not to be a couple of goals, you know, to the good at half time. So the Leicester game was very, very important to get a result from to go into a fortnight's break and not think here we go again, roller coaster. One good result, one bad result. It was two very good results back to back, and the fact that there was a new system, you know, employed which worked very well. The fact that Bernard was given his first, you know, extended outing in a Premier League game and looked absolutely brilliant. It just all whetted the appetite, you know, for what we're going to see. Now Palace are a weird team, you know, the, they they can be really, really awkward to play against. Um, they've got some very, very good players. Obviously, if Zahar performs, you know, they, they can be, you know, very, very dangerous. If he doesn't, you know, equally, they can be quite easy to turn over. So it's, it's a game that Everton would expect uh, to continue that run against, but equally, you know, one you can't take for granted. Uh, but, you know, beat Crystal Palace and suddenly had three wins on the spin and suddenly everyone's absolutely bouncing and can't wait for the next game. So, yeah, momentum generates, you know, confidence generates wins and it's very, very important. After the Leicester win, Adam, Phil Kirkbride wrote that, you know, we've seen a little bit of a different Everton away from home, you know, mm-hmm. a confident Everton away from home, something that we haven't seen for quite a few years. But now it's time to bring Fortress Goodison back and it's actually quite funny. You look at maybe the next two months, we play the likes of Crystal Palace, Brighton, Cardiff and Newcastle at home. But each game follows Manchester United away, Chelsea away, Liverpool away, Manchester City away. How important is momentum going to be to getting wins at home and then going into these fixtures and saying, right, let's have a go? Yeah, I think I completely agree with what Phil said in that piece. I think in in general, I think we've looked better away from home than we have at home. I think, honestly, in in another reality, we could be sitting here with 12 points from our four away games. We really should have beaten Wolves. Definitely should have beaten Bournemouth. You know, put those chances away against Arsenal and that's a completely different game. And obviously we did get the win against Leicester. I just think the system that Marco Silva's employed so far is one that works so much better away from home because naturally you've got a bit less possession. So obviously we're pressing high from the front as much as we can, you know, blocking blocking the spaces for the defenders to try and pass into so that they can't build from the back and into the midfield. It worked especially well against Leicester, and I think that's why we we've eventually saw us creating a lot of chances. But I think what gave me so much heart in that Leicester game is that once they had a man sent off, we had to change our system a little bit, and we had to change more to what would we would be looking like at home. Because obviously, with them having 10 men, we've got to start trying to dominate possession ourselves. And we moved Sigurdsson back into that uh, deeper line role, gave him as much space as we could, and obviously... That paid off, so I'd like I'd like to see us maybe explore that a bit more in the home games, you know, because we need to try and use possession a bit better at home. I think the first half against Fulham really proved that. The whole match against West Ham proved that, you know, like if we haven't got that kind of influence in midfield, who's going to be able to collect the ball from the defenders and put us straight onto the attack? If we haven't got that, like we had against West Ham, then we're just going to get exploited. And I think, as Preno said, their Palace are one of those teams that. If you do give them them sort of opportunities, they've got the kind of players who can hurt you. Like thinking, especially like Wilfred Zaha, give him too much space and he's gonna absolutely punish you. So, 
yeah, I'd, I'd like to see us build up that kind of momentum. Like you've got to target those home games as all as wins. Like no, no disrespect to any of those teams, but you've got you've got to be trying to win all those games to if you want Everton to be where we need to be, and then. With the away games, I think the most promising thing that I've seen so far is how we attacked Arsenal in the, in that game. I've never seen us, well, for the last few years, I haven't seen us really go at one of those like top six sides, shall we say. I've never seen us go at them like that and take it to them at their place. So, especially with Man United at home, who used to say we just can't take the game to them and really go at them, especially with the form that they're in. Oh, and Newcastle did in Imagine the confidence boost that that'll mm. give you. Like going into the next home game, steamroller whoever we've got at home then, and then you're looking into the Chelsea game then, you know, get, get, getting a good result at Stamford Bridge, maybe our first win in how many years? 1995, Paul Ryder, I was there. Yeah. So what, like, what month of 95 was it? It was uh, dark, it was November. Oh. Barry Horn missed an absolute sitter in the last minute, about four yards out. And I remember saying to him afterwards, what were you thinking? He goes, I wanted to make, keep it interesting. <laughs> we were in that <laughs> yellow and black that. kit that day. Was it yellow and black? The kit white, or, think, or was the white, white one? Yeah. Danke. Yeah. I, it's just interesting what you were saying about the home games here. And I, I speak here as a, a fan and a season ticket holder rather than a journalist. I actually think the supporters, and I count myself as, as one of those, has to play the part as well. Like, uh, yeah. I was a season to get older up until about 2004 and then I got one before the start of last season because work meant that you know, I was covering football myself so uh, I couldn't get to games on a regular basis and the atmosphere is not as good as what it was once and I'm, I don't, I'm not blaming supporters myself or anyone like that at the moment and I think... I blame you, Paul. Yeah, blame me. It's me. <laughs> he told me it was great before the game. Uh, but in terms of like, we'll all expect to roll over Palace uh, a week yeah. on Sunday and it won't be like that because they are a good sign. They've caused problems at Goodison in the past, haven't they? And I think quite rightly last season the atmosphere was bad because of what happened it, like there's a disintegration on the cumin and then the football under the wildlife would never get you going would it at all but under silver the football is better and i think it probably just needs to become a bit more intimidating goodison again and again i'm not saying this as a journalist i'm saying this because i could do it in the ground i don't sing in the ground anymore i've got a young lad and he he doesn't really sing and he should be because that's what i did when i was growing up on the gladys streets and i just think maybe if we're going to make the most of these home games, yeah, it, it's up to the team. But I just wonder if it, the atmosphere could improve a little bit. I would as have well. to say the away the away support this season. Like, I haven't been to every away game this season. They they they've been absolutely phenomenal in every match. Like, yeah. dra- absolutely drowned out the Emirates. I like, think. Is, can is I just say? One, I don't think it's just Everton, by the way. I think yeah. it's like a cultural change. I, I yeah. think you know, Liverpool friends of mine. I know they've got the European nights and things like that, but. Supposedly against City, the atmosphere wasn't that great. I think mm. it's just something's changed. I don't know. Maybe home games, maybe where the atmosphere is, the away games yeah. now. Yeah, it's hard I to put know. your finger on. Like, Obviously, you've mentioned their performances were really didn't help last season. So maybe it's just some sort of hangover off the back of that. Like That's, that's what I'm hoping anyway. And hopefully if we can bring you know that kind of energetic style of football back to Gutherson. Like, I don't think we've really seen it that much. I don't know whether the, the, there's a bit of added pressure maybe playing at home. Like under these fans who would who deserve better, like not not just expect it, deserve better. Like th- there is going to be some sort of added pressure for both the manager and the team. So maybe once they've got over that stumbling block, we'll we'll be able to see us, you know, getting back to 
beating teams three and four it, nil every week. It's a good talking point. The atmosphere because it's always been said in the past. You know, is it the fans' responsibility to get the team going, or is it the team's responsibility yeah. to get the fans it's going? Two way street, and really. Is, you know, yeah. and normally when you've got an attainable target within sight, you know, either you're fighting against relegation or you're going for a European place. You know, that gives everybody something to cling on to and something to get excited about. And at the moment, we're in a position where we're absolutely slap bang in the middle of the table. Uh, there isn't any definable target to cheer about. So it is basically what you're witnessing on the pitch and you need a good start. You need someone to go close early doors. You need someone to throw in a, you know, a real meaty challenge early on just to get that crowd whipped up. Phil Neville and Ronaldo Well, style. exactly, yeah, oh, and it does. It makes a difference. That, wasn't it? Neville Southall always used to say that. He used to, you know, if, if things were struggling, you know, he, he would tell somebody, you know, so come on, throw a real you know, meaty tackle and just get the crowd on our side again. And so it is, I mean, you know, it will need someone to do something early on against Crystal Palace to try and get that, you know, from and go and get the crowd going. Yeah, but it, it is, it's, it's interesting, you know, because, you know, you don't know who has the responsibility. Is it the players? Is it the team? Or are we all in it together? It's weird. And just, just while we're on the point, Dave, what is the best atmosphere you've ever you've ever experienced <laughs> yourself at Goodison? Oh, 100%. I mean, everyone always says Bayern Munich, and it was, it was absolutely incredible. Uh, I remember when Dieter Honus, you know, went down the, uh, the far end and Neville Southall coming out and I had absolute confidence he was going to save it because he was so good. And he did save it. Uh, Ludwig Kogel, it was, sorry, he'd gone through and he saved it, but the ball spanned loose and it spanned to Honus who rolled it in and there was utter silence in the ground. And then suddenly like this roar of defiance straight afterwards. And it was, it was an amazing atmosphere, but I don't think it was, you know, the best. The best for me was Wimbledon. It was yeah. just yeah. absolute, yeah. it was primeval. Bedlam, wasn't it? I, it mean, was that, I mean, and there was only 32,000 in there because the parking was yeah. empty. And you could see people hanging from the, uh, the trees in the park and trying to watch him. All week we'd been acting like uh, councillors. People had been ringing the office basically saying, you know, we're not going down, we're not going down, are we? And it was, it was, you know, people were so terrified that Everton were going to get relegated. And then, you know, to be two down and then to suddenly turn it round. I just can't actually describe the atmosphere. It was absolutely <laughs> primeval that day. And the final whistle, when, when the whistle went, and even then I still wasn't sure everything was safe. I was doing a footy echo runner that day. And the crowd, <laughs> crowd were on the pitch, like celebrating, doing cartwheels. And I'm like, well, hang on, no one knew what the results still needed to go in our favour. And we'd lost sight of the fact that Sheffield United at Chelsea, because they were... Uh, winning a couple of goals up and everyone thought oh well you know they're safe you know Chelsea came back to win 3-2 I remember Phil McNulty was sat to me right I said what's going on why, why is everyone celebrating and he just started screaming Chelsea have won Chelsea have won you know so we're safe so you know that was all going on I was able to start screaming down the phone to the copy taker <laughs> you can see John Fashionu on the pitch trying to get the Wimbledon players off the pitch and down the tunnel to safety because they genuinely thought they were going to get you know badly hurt that day I mean the team must have been torched the night before, before. Uh, because you know the fans were so up for him oh that God. was that was just amazing I mean, yeah. I'd never like to go through it again because it was just so so frost and so horrible but as atmospheres go that'll never be beaten that would buy a Munich she was down seconds. the spines thinking about that like, I was, crazy, there. I was up at Gladys Street that day and there was a fellow who must have been pushing 90 and I just thought it was an achievement so I was staying up and <laughs> achievement <laughs> him coming through that game to be honest because <laughs> like, we went through the ring of emotions and it's just I, that, that could be a pod on its own couldn't it oh, definitely. you know Goodison yeah. That yeah that day was, was crazy and that Adam, for people more of our generation, if, if people of our generation don't say that Fiorentina game, then I was I'm, say I'm not sure. Chelsea in the FA Cup as well, the Lukaku one, 
all the Duncan Ferguson diving heads against Manchester United. All, all three of them were very similar atmospheres and all would definitely be in a top ten. That, that, that Fiorentina game, yeah. like I don't think I've ever celebrated a goal oh, as much that, as that Arteta goal. goal. And wasn't. I remember like, as a wee as a wee lad in the upper bullens, <laughs> I, I saw him lining up the shot and I was thinking to myself, Don't choose, don't choose. And then he did in the bottom corner and I was there with my cousin and both of us, I think we ended up about five rows in front of where we were actually sat. We just absolutely legged it down the aisle, just going absolutely mental. The atmosphere around those days, and that's why Moyes does it. I know it's, it's not like a done thing to say, and I was talking to someone about this the other day. I've got a lot of time for David Moyes personally as an Everton fan. Uh, and, you know, it was, it, I know when you say in the echo quite a bit, Greg says it, Greg O'Keefe, formerly obviously the echo, it's a bear pit. And on, around that time of Moyes, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. I remember when I used to go back and it'd be in the Gladys Street, and it was so intimidating. Yeah. Like that Fiorentina match was just unbelievable. And it's, it's like you were talking about Munich before, and it's just like all memories flooding back because yeah. my dad was obviously there that night. And, you know, remember that BBC video growing up, like the Everton history, and like yeah. it was always on an hour. I was obviously video showing my age here now as well. And it was like you sucked the ball into the back of the net, Cliff said it and I think around that time as well Everton was like that again under oh, Moyes yeah. like and that's what I'm comparing it to because that's when I went sporadically and I just think it's just not had that again since there's, there's one mad one as well that uh, very very old fans you know so even of my vintage uh, talk about the official attendance on the night was 49,000 and there were considerably more in the game in the ground because they played Southampton in an FA Cup fifth round replay and uh, it'd gone to extra time. And you know what, what they do? They open the gates 10 minutes in the end, days of terraces rather than seats uh, to let the early departures, you know, so exit the ground. All the urchins outside came flooding in, you know, so opportunities to see extra time. It's going to be extra half an hour of football. So Eamon O'Keefe scored the winner, like first half of extra time. And the place just was absolutely a bedlam. That was mayhem. And that, that's on YouTube somewhere. And everyone talks about, you know, so how mad that night was. But, you know, that was a different era entirely, days of terracing and stuff. You know, when you see, you know, fans swaying up and down, people getting carried out. Uh, that was just accepted. Uh, in the days of seats, it was very, very different. But yeah, you know, there have been a number of, you know, sort of really significant ones. Not so much in recent years. Need to, uh, need to have a few more of them. Mm-hmm. Well, we'd be hoping for a good atmosphere when Premier League football returns to Goodison Park as the Blues take on Crystal Palace next week. We'll be back with another podcast early on next week to uh, preview that game. But for today, thank you very much for joining Dave, Adam, Paul and myself. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.